Please keep your Bibles open at Ruth chapter 3. When you think of famous marriage proposals, which come to mind? I don't know, is it Scarlet and Rhett in Gone with the Wind? If you're a teenager, maybe you haven't seen it. Elizabeth, or is it Elizabeth, Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice? I was having debates with my daughter as to which Pride and Prejudice movie is the best. But. Or is it Richard Gere, Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman? Maybe it's another. In our culture, it's often, in, it's often involved the man getting down on one knee to propose, as it did for me. But in the story today, it's a bit more like this. For in our story, the woman boldly makes the first move. Ruth needs a particular man to marry and redeem her. We also need a redeemer. And so we'll think about Ruth chapter 3, but also the redeemer that we need. For without a redeemer, Ruth and Naomi will be stuck in poverty without descendants and without a redeemer we will be chained to spiritual poverty and sin and death and we all need a redeemer someone to set us free we're looking at this fantastic short story called Ruth remember what's happened so far Elimelech Naomi's husband likely failed to trust God to provide for his family during a famine So he and his wife Naomi, their two boys, moved to Moab. And there Elimelech and their two boys died. Naomi returned to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law Ruth, who, who, remember, courageously committed herself to Naomi, live with her until death. And, And she's also committed to worship her God. And last week we saw Naomi's bitterness begin to shift to start to become thankfulness and hope. Why? Remember, it was because of Boaz's extraordinary kindness and generosity. Now, Naomi was excited not only by the pile of grain that Ruth brought home, but but the fact that God providentially led Ruth to Boaz, a relative, a family redeemer. But as, as chapter 2 finished, that the wheat and barley harvests, harvests continued and they finished and nothing really had changed. Ruth remains husbandless and childless. And so what we see now is the plan. First point, Naomi's plan. Naomi says in verse 1, my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so you'll be taken care of? And hasn't Boaz been looking after you and isn't he our relative and In other words, he's a suitable and eligible bachelor. Remember Naomi's prayer back in chapter 1 verse 9. She prayed that God would provide rest for her daughters-in-law in the house of a new husband. Well, that's what Naomi wants to progress and take action on now. She knows God is sovereign. She's declared that God is almighty. But notice that that doesn't stop Naomi from actively Responding. It doesn't mean Naomi sits back passively waiting for some man to come knocking on their door. She takes action. She wants Ruth to find rest, peace, provision and protection with a new husband. In our individualistic society, this might shock you. In our society, many think, I don't need anyone 
not a man. But notice how Ruth's rest is grounded in dependence. I think we don't like to be dependent. But for single women or widowed women in that culture, life was very difficult. And Ruth was a vulnerable woman and a childless foreigner. And in response to all of those things, a husband and family would mean protection and provision for her. And by God's grace, that's what husbands still ought to do for their wives. Take responsibility for protection and provision, spiritually and materially. God can provide for us through a spouse. God can provide for you through your spouse. If you're married, I pray that that is your experience. Last week we saw Boaz's kindness and he highlighted Ruth's loving kindness to Naomi. But here we see Naomi changing and proactively showing kindness to Ruth in this plan. She knows Boaz will be winnowing the barley on the threshing floor, that is separating the husks from the grain by throwing it up into the wind and somehow she knows he's going to be sleeping there at work too. Look at what Naomi tells Ruth to do in verse 3. Put on perfume and some nice clothes. I mean, when you're seeking a spouse, smelling nice and looking nice helps. And then she's to notice where Boaz goes to lie down to sleep. And then covertly go in, uncover his feet and lie down. And she says he'll know what to do. Lie at his feet under the edge of his robe. This is a bold plan, for it requires trusting that Boaz will not treat Ruth as Moabite trash. The plan is for Ruth to communicate, Boaz, marry me, not sleep with me. It sounds a strange marriage proposal to us, I'm sure. As my daughter Alexis said during the week, it's weird. But clearly Naomi was sure that Boaz would understand this as a marriage proposal. And there's a passage of the Bible that helps us. In Ezekiel chapter 16, it's written later, but in Ezekiel 16, God describes his people once being like a despised and rejected baby, cast into a field, left naked, helpless, vulnerable, with no one caring for them. But the Lord came and protected And nurtured her. And when at a marriageable age, when mature, the Lord covered her nakedness with the edge of his garment. Which you see in that passage means that he's committed himself to her, his people, in a marriage covenant. So there God makes the first move, shall we say. God pops the question. And that's actually Naomi's plan for Ruth here. And it's what Ruth says she will do in verse 5, and it is what Ruth does. Next point is the redeemer and the proposal. Ruth goes and does everything her mother-in-law told her to do, going and laying at the man's feet while he sleeps. It takes courage. takes courage. For Ruth here, she risks rejection. She risks shame. He could take advantage of her. He could call her out as a harlot. 
Well, there is potential for sin and abuse. Really, Ruth really does put herself out there. And she is trusting in Boaz's integrity and also surely in the Lord in this moment. Boaz wakes. He's shocked to find a woman at his feet. Presumably it's too dark for him to see who, who it is. And Ruth says, verse 9, I am your servant, Ruth your servant. Take me under your wing for you are a family redeemer. Or more literally, spread the the edge, the wing of your garment over me, for you are a kinsman redeemer. Last week in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz said that Ruth had come under the Lord's wings for protection. And amazingly, we see Boaz being asked here to extend his wing of protection out to care for Ruth in a marriage covenant. That's like Boaz is asked to be the answer to his own prayer. If you've ever prayed for God's blessing and provision for someone, I wonder if you've ever been the answer to your own prayer. Or could you be the answer to your own prayer? God's provision for another person. Thinking about the language of family redeemer, remember from last week if you were here, remember from our Deuteronomy reading, a widow could have a brother or near relative to her deceased brother marry her to provide children for the family line. Ruth is asking Boaz to marry her to provide heirs for her and Naomi and the family. And Naomi's plan and Ruth's courage, it pays off. Boaz is pleased, he's not put off by Ruth's assertiveness. He asks God to bless her. And for a third chapter in a row, we see that word kindness mentioned. This covenant-keeping, loving kindness being repeated in verse 10. Even more than coming back with Naomi and working hard to feed Naomi, Ruth has shown kindness in this marriage request. Because it's actually kindness to provide for Naomi and the Limelech's family. Boaz highlights she's not put herself first. She sought, she did not seek a young man with good looks or with lots of cash, but a man who will provide heirs and security for the family, even when it meant marrying an older man. Again, that's like the woman of Proverbs 31. Remember the Proverbs 31 woman and wife, she fears the Lord, she's kind, she's hardworking, and she puts others before herself. And so what we're seeing is both Ruth and, Bo- Ruth and Boaz, they embody kindness that, that flows from a fear of the Lord, that awe-filled trust in God and a commitment to follow him as Lord which means putting others first too. And this, this kindness that flows from an all-filled trust in God, isn't that a great foundation for, a great basis for a happy marriage? I hope your relationship with God flows out in kindness to your spouse. Boaz assures Ruth, do not fear, I will do for you all that you've asked. And this is the promise from the Redeemer. Boaz is motivated by love here and not just the law. 
And by love, I mean servant-hearted sacrifice for the good of another love, not romantic love. Because it's motivated by this other person-centered love because Boaz could have been, shall we say, racist and rejected Ruth as a Moabite. He could have decided that Deuteronomy 23, from Deuteronomy 23, that God didn't want him to marry a Moabite. Though Ruth's genuine conversion, the God of Israel has likely altered her status there. Still, she is an outsider. And I ask, how did Jesus respond to outsiders? Especially the the people the religious leaders thought were outsiders. Well, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus was rebuked by the religious leaders for eating and eating with, accepting tax collectors and sinners. They're unworthy outsiders. I wonder how you look at people who are different from you. Whether it's because of their upbringing, the place that they grew up in, their race or their culture, or because a woman wears a hijab, a headscarf. How do you view immigrants and refugees? Jesus ate with outsiders and he welcomes them. Should we be any different? Coming back to Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. Boaz says, everyone knows that you're a woman of moral worth and he's happy to marry her. He promises that if the, the closer relative to Naomi won't marry and redeem you, I will. Look at verse 13. It's his promise and vow before the Lord. And this actually, this event creates suspense in the story, a a hurdle in the narrative, a hurdle in Naomi and Ruth's plan. But but see how Boaz responds with with Ruth's best interests in mind. Even in, in asking her to be careful that people don't see her when she leaves. It's to protect her reputation. Not give anyone the impression that They were there sleeping together, which they weren't. Not in the sense of sexual intercourse. Now, now redeeming someone, redeeming someone is is reclaiming them. It's setting them free by the payment of a price. Naomi and Ruth needed to be bought back from destitution and poverty, from likely losing their land And from childlessness, they needed someone to free them and provide for them. Leviticus 25 also speaks of a family redeemer. And we learn that the redeeming was a responsibility, not an obligation. You know, it was something that one may do. And this is likely a different situation to that in Deuteronomy from our first reading, where the brothers live on the same property sister-in-law. So if they're not living on the same property, it's something that a family redeemer may do, but they're not obligated to do. And there was a hierarchy of responses Boaz is revealing here. Closer relatives are asked first, and yet it was a great sacrifice. I don't know if you remember the story of Judah's son Onan in Genesis 38. He was happy to sleep with his sister-in-law Tamar, whose husband had died, but he actually refused to get her pregnant. 
And that, he says that's because the offspring would not truly belong to him. And so it's costly. Boaz here is lavishing loving kindness on Ruth even when it's costly. Because marrying her will mean that their firstborn son really belongs to Naomi's family, Elimelech's family, not his own. What does it look like for you to show love and kindness even when it's costly? Again, if you're married, I ask, are you lavishing love on your spouse even when they don't deserve it? Or maybe it'll be seen in this, whether you're married or not, in your love being patient and kind, in you not being arrogant or rude or self-seeking, not being irritable, not keeping a record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13. Is there someone in your family or an outsider whom you could provide help for or love even when it's costly? Galatians chapter 6 says that we should work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. That's fellow Christians. Especially be good to one another. And 1 Timothy 5, if we don't provide for our own family, we're worse than an unbeliever, the apostle says. Is there something that you need to act on from that? Next brief point is in the story is the provision, the provision of the Redeemer. So Ruth gets up to go. And notice Boaz yet again provides her with plenty of barley. We're not sure how much this is, six measures, but it's a clear sign of his commitment. As he provides for Ruth and Naomi with food here, he's, it's a sign of his promise that he will make sure they are provided with a family redeemer too. His words in verse 17, they're interesting. Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You may remember in chapter 1, Ruth said she left Bethlehem full and came back empty. And now she's starting to feel, be full again. Boaz wants Ruth to find rest in the promise of his provision. And Naomi knows that Boaz won't rest until he resolves this today. That's how the chapter finishes. Ruth and Naomi, their family, their land will be redeemed. Naomi trusts that he is a man of his word, a man of integrity. And so the chapter, it started with Naomi wanting Ruth to find rest. The home, protection, provision of a husband. And the chapter finishes with Naomi being confident that Boaz will provide that. And we will finish the story next week. But we come to my last point, redemption for us. Ruth and Naomi, they needed a redeemer and so do we. In our day and time, it won't be marrying an in-law, a widow marrying an in-law. We all actually need a bigger and better and longer lasting redeemer than that. And scripture makes clear that Jesus Christ is our redeemer. Remember, being redeemed is about being freed 
or bought back by the payment of a price. And what is it that we get freed from when we turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ? What is it we get freed from? 1 Peter chapter 1 says we get freed from an empty way of life. Ephesians 1 says we're freed from our, redeemed from our trespasses, our sins and slavery to sin. Galatians 3 says we're redeemed from the curse of the law. Remember, that's the curse that began in Genesis 3, the punishment for sin being death. Jesus, therefore, he frees us from an empty and meaningless life. He frees us from spiritual poverty, from the the power of sin that rules us, and from the penalty of sin and eternal separation from God. All this, how does he do this? Those passages say, it's not by paying lots of money. It's by his own blood. That means his his life given as a sacrifice, his blood poured out to death. Jesus died for unworthy, needy outsiders like us. When we were separated from God, when we were without God, without hope in the worlds. So we get forgiveness because Jesus died in our place. We get true and eternal purpose because Jesus gave his precious blood. We get included in God's family because Jesus was excluded as he hung on that cross. We get freedom and eternal life because Jesus died our death. So I ask, has Jesus redeemed you? Has Jesus redeemed you? Have you turned your back on being boss of your own life and trusted in him? Do you have him as your saviour and lord? Redemption is not a, a big, dry, theological word. The story of Ruth shows us that it's personal. And we say, I hope you can say, Jesus died for me and to set me free. I hope you can say that. I hope you know the freedom and the peace and the rest that Jesus gives. Ruth chapter 3 finishes with Ruth and Naomi waiting to find out if they'll be redeemed and who they'll be redeemed by, who the Redeemer is. We don't need to wait. Our Redeemer has already come and he is willing and able and ready to free us from our sinful nature and an eternity in hell. And one day our bodies will get redeemed from death and decay too at the resurrection. Jesus gives us the freedom that we need, freedom we actually want and long for. I think most people today seek freedom, but they try to find it in a freedom that never really frees them or satisfies them. Gabrielle Kuby says in her book, The Global Sexual Revolution, modern and postmodern men have emancipated, freed themselves from God, from nature, from family, from tradition, woman from man. 
children from parents, and individuals from themselves as a man or woman. They stand naked, restrained by nothing, defined by nothing than their own wishes, desires, and drives. They think they are free to self-actualize, to discover and be true to themselves. And do you notice that in their vulnerability and lack of inhibitions, they are more malleable than ever before? That's the culture that children and teenagers are living in and growing up in. Or as Tim Keller says in his book, Making Sense of God. Freedom is sometimes said to be the only unconditional good in our society. The only one we really need. Everyone should be free to live as they desire. As long as they don't harm anyone else. Of course, what that harm is remains undefined. Freedom can be freedom from something like barriers or constraints, or freedom for something, using our freedom to live in a particular way. Everyone lives for something. If we are living for Olympic gold or a successful career or for our art or politics or for a spouse, that limits our choices, the things we can't do, like the 66-year-old who loves fatty foods. I wonder if Keller's talking about himself here. Like the 66-year-old who loves fatty foods must choose to lose the lesser freedom to eat the foods he enjoys to gain the greater freedom of long health and life. If we know we are created by God and we're created to know, serve and love God, if we try to live for anything else, it only leads to slavery. But when we begin to live for God and follow his will, we find that we're actually becoming what we were meant to be, realizing our original design. And when a Christian grasps how Jesus saved us at infinite cost to himself, how he emptied himself of his glory and took on a humble form to serve our best interests, it creates a grateful joy that inwardly moves us to want to please and know and resemble him. Our happiness gets put into his happiness and serving him becomes our perfect liberation. So we're free to do what we most want to do. Love our redeemer. So brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus has redeemed you, Use your freedom from the penalty and power of sin to live his way, flourish in that, and find joy in that. And I pray that grateful joy and thankfulness will flow from, spring out from your heart and your lips. Boaz was willing to be the, the redeemer that Ruth and Naomi needed. And they were in need. And it started with Ruth making the first move in that marriage proposal. I hope you know that for us, Christ makes the first move. He was willing to give his life to redeem us. He did give his life to redeem us. We were needy outsiders. 
separated from God, stuck in emptiness and sin. We were slipping towards an eternity in spiritual death. And Jesus died to set us free. And I can't think of better words to respond with than these from this old hymn. I don't think we've sung it at Bundy, but I love it. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh sing, of my Redeemer with his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, made me free. Hope you want to sing that too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that when we were cut off from you and your saved people, we're in spiritual poverty, spiritual slavery, bound to death. It was then that you sent us your son who died our death to redeem us from sin and death. God, we praise you for your amazing grace. We praise you for your redeeming love. We praise you, Jesus, for you are our Redeemer. And I pray that if we have been saved by him, redeemed by him, freed by Jesus, that we will want to respond with grateful joy and loving you, our God, and singing from our hearts. For you are the Lord who died to pay our debt and make us free. Help us to live in the reality. Live knowing it is true. Amen.